Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Sharp Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. Getting a child to say a good er sound is one thing, but getting them to use it consistently is another. Now, you know the easy R program for getting the er, but what about generalization? Well, what about the new R speech practice audios? Kids love to practice them and you quickly access them via QR codes. Go to speechdynamics.com to take advantage of the 40% off sale price. Do it now. And before we start formally, let's start with the disclosures regarding financial disclosures. Susie Appleman does receive compensation for this podcast, and personally, I do too. So I do receive uh, an honorarium for the speech link, and I am a presenter for speechtherapypd.com, and I receive royalty payments, and I own Speech Dynamics. And neither Susie nor I have any non-financial disclosures to report. Okay, so welcome, everybody. Hello there. Back to our Speech Link podcast, sponsored, of course, by SpeechTherapyPD.com. And I'm Shara Beauchart, your speech language pathologist host. And I'm glad that you're here for a very practical topic, why and how to use myofunctional therapy to remediate complex speech sounds. And you are more than welcome to participate. Just type your question or comment into the chat, and one of us will read it. And Susie will respond. Susie Appleman, MACCC, SLP, COM, earned her master's degree from Queens College in New York City. And then after her CFY, she worked in private practice in Long Island, New York. Then in 1999, she and her husband moved to Arizona. And she worked in the Paradise Valley Unified School District until 2004. And I know that school district. Lots of good people there. I've been there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She then opened her, and I love this, the name of your private practice. She opened her own private practice called Big Apple for Appleman in New York, I'm assuming. Big Apple Speech Therapy LLC in Scottsdale and Phoenix, Arizona. In addition, she's presented at several local, regional, and national conferences on autism spectrum disorder, home and school environmental organizational organization programs, and strategies to manage behavior issues. I may have to get you back for that one. Excellent. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Her passion, however, is oral facial myofunctional disorders, OMDs. For over two decades, she has specialized in the evaluation, diagnosis, and treatment of OMDs, and she loves to work with children, adolescents, as well as adults. (laughs) So there you go. She is a therapist's therapist, and I am so looking forward to this, Susie. Woo! Welcome to the speech link. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. You're very welcome. Yeah, we're ready. So I started this journey, like you said, many, many, many years ago, and it I started by taking over a gentleman's practice who was just doing more what at that time they were calling tongue thrust therapy. Mm -hmm. Sure. What I was finding was it was super easy to put the tongue in the right position. It was super easy to teach a kiddo or an adult where, how to swallow, but they weren't able to um, carry that over to spontaneous use. And I was getting a ton of regression and I was like, what is going on? I'm not helping my patients. And so that's when I started to dig deeper into the OMD world. And I realized and found out it's just not about teeth and swallowing. It's really super important for speech and how to make particular sounds. So I just pulled this off of the International Association of Oral Facial Myology, their website. So what it says is that an oral facial myofunctional disorder are atypical adaptive patterns that emerge in the absence of normalized patterns within the orofacial complex, the mouthful. In other words, how the tongue, lip, and jaw, or really, truly the entire mouth moves, will dictate how we make sounds, dictates how we can swallow. So when there is a breakdown in that motor planning, we're going to potentially end up with articulation problems. So some of the examples of OMD, and so from now on, rather than saying that all out, I'm just going to be calling them OMDs. 
One major cause is thumb sucking. Why is that important for us in terms of speech skills? The harder that child sucks their thumb or their fingers, the more likely they are to push the palate, the roof of the mouth up higher and higher. And what happens is when the palate gets higher, the teeth have to come in and it narrows the palate so that it's hard for the child to hold on to the upper molars for articulation. It's hard for them to even keep their tongue on the roof of their mouth. And that's the tongue's job. The tongue's job is to act as a natural palatal expander and hold that shape. So that's why we ask questions about thumb sucking or finger sucking or extended pacifier use because it impacts speech. Then the other kind of potential issue is the open mouth or parting of the lips. And that is important for us as well for speech, because when the lip muscles are weakened, we have two issues. One, the the tissue or the muscle above the lip, which is right where you have that little cupid bow, that can atrophy. And then the lip starts to curl upward. So think about sounds. S-E-R-L. These sounds require good lip mobility and good strength, especially for R. Um, The other thing I always just kind of, I'll just tweak your interest is if you see that open lip posture, you may be looking at a lip tie, but that's a whole nother story, but that's something to look at. Another cause for OMD would be the forward resting position of their tongue, either at the bottom of the mouth or between the teeth. The, again, like I said, the tongue belongs in the roof of your mouth, acting as a natural palatal expander. Then they also talk about a tongue thrust. So technically, when we swallow, the tip of the tongue stays on the alveolar ridge right behind the front teeth. And then the tongue ripples backwards. The peristalsal wave kicks in. And so technically, when you swallow, the tip of the tongue doesn't do much of anything at the point of swallowing. A thrust, a tongue thrust, is when the tongue pushes forward either onto the teeth or actually between the teeth. And obviously that's going to be an issue in terms of for the the development of the teeth. Muscles and your tongue's made of eight will always attempt to reshape bone, which is why we get open bites. So that constant, we swallow about 2000 to 2400 times a day, almost two times a minute. Can you imagine all that pressure slamming on your teeth, slamming on your teeth, slamming on your teeth? So that's why we have to address or look at tongue thrust. And then other kind of harmful habits are lip biting or leaning the upper teeth on the bottom lip. Think about, again, from a pressure standpoint, that's a lot of pressure the lip muscle is putting onto the teeth, kind of like that Bugs Buddy kind of look. Other things that we need to, and all still impact speech skills. When they talk about dental issues that come from OMD, they're talking about malocclusions. We need our teeth to articulate. They're part of the whole, it's not just the jaw, tongue, and lip, really. We do need teeth, and they make a huge difference. They are the foundation to your mouth as well. So when you have that kiddo who has lip, uh, all these teeth crowding or just no room for their tongue, how are they going to articulate, right? They look at also periodontic issues like gum recession then or kiddos who have had braces who after the braces come off, the bite shifts again. That's a big concern for a lot of parents. And then the growth of the jaw. So we know that the jaw is a point of stability for their tongue. So we got to remember, and you'll hear me say this again and again, in order to have mobility, you have to have a point of stability. And the jaw is the point of stability for speech. So if the muscles of the masseter are weak, and that mouth is open, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And that's an, remember, that's an atypical pattern. And so we really need to look at what that jaw strength is. And usually I'll have the kid, I'll tell them like growl at me or bite as hard as you can. And you want to see what that masseter muscle does. And on nine out of 10 times when I have kiddos who have that kind of for lack of a better word, slack jaw, that it doesn't even bulge a bit. It doesn't even activate. So the new thing they're also looking at in terms of jaw is they're calling it the long face syndrome. And again, it impacts speech. Your jaw should grow in this horizontal 
plane, not vertically. And so then it changes the shape of the face, which then think about it from a speech point of view will impact our articulation as well as resonance of your nose. We look at tongue. I look at tongue scalloping. So tongue scalloping is when, if you look at the sides of the tongue, you can see like little like imprints of the teeth on the tongue. That tells me that one, that the tongue is super forward, depending on, like, if you see it on the tip of the tongue, you know that the tip of that tongue, when that child is in their resting position, because some kids will still have this low resting position of their tongue and thrust or whatever, but have their lips closed. It doesn't always equate to having your lips open. And so when you see those scalloping on the tip of the tongue, it's more likely than not that it's coming from the tongue laying too far forward. And then this, if you see it on the sides, then you're also looking at um, that it's on, you know, that they're just don't have any room. So I know the number one thing that usually comes up when it comes to narrow palates, and it's hard in the school setting because how do you say to parents, I think your kid needs to see an orthodontist or is there any talk of a palatal expander? And it really just, it it is a very tough conversation to have because I know, you know, I do a lot of charter schools and, you know, there is that fine line of like, okay, whatever you recommend, you know, it does lean on the district to be financially responsible for that. So there is that fine line. But the way I kind of address that with parents too, is that I talk about like a vision and hearing screening. And so when you're doing that oral mech, screening, if they didn't pass the vision and hearing, they would go to their local doctors. So we're saying if there's this narrow palate, it really would help if this child went to the dentist or an orthodontist. I try to also use a lot of research articles to kind of back up my statements. And I just like give them to the parents at the meetings rather than, you know, trying to just give them all that information verbally. If you need anything, there's lots of great research out there or bibliographies of research on the impact on palatal size on articulation. So for us, when we're going to start talking specifically about the components of articulation, I tend to focus mostly on the jaw, the tongue, and the lips. Obviously, when I talk about um, the jaw, I I mean the teeth too. We'll talk about what kind of, so maybe it's the jaw, the tongue, the lips, and the teeth. The structure of your mouth will define the function for articulation. So structure will always tell what function the mouth can move. So think about it. I'll just give one example. So tethered oral tissue. If the tongue is being held down, how are we going to get the tongue up into a tight position to get R? So that's how structure impacts function. Okay, let me let me jump in here. Couple things. You know, you and I did not talk prior to us getting together. I've been hanging around, you know, looking at the myo, the whole myofunctional world and so on for quite a while as well. And let me just sort of throw in and insert a couple of things that may pull together some of the things that you've been saying. I like to look at, you know, doing this for so many decades, <laughs> you know, you start to see things that become clearer and you've been doing it for a couple of decades as well. And the more that you do it, the clearer things become and the more mouths that you, that you peer into and that you work with. And, you know, we learn from our clients definitely, but also there is a lot of research out there, as you say, And one of them that is just extremely, extremely important is the whole concept of the lateral tongue bracing. And that lateral tongue bracing is, I mean, it cuts across resting postures, it cuts across your, the swallowing function, and definitely cuts across your speaking function. And I'm going to say that one of the primary researchers for that is Brian Jick. G-I-C-K. And he has done some phenomenal work. I think he's up in British Columbia. He did it 2017 with several of his colleagues. And I believe that the article is speaking tongues are always braced, something like that. Speaking tongues are always braced, which means during connected speech that the insides, that the, the sides of the tongue are contacting the insides of the top back teeth on a pretty regular basis. Exactly. For all of our front tongue vertical sounds, t, d, n, s, sh, sh, all of those. Now L is in, but it's a front tongue sound. 
but it's just contacting and your high vowels, your high fronts, your high backs. And there's just a lot of contact there. And the bracing gives support to the front part of the tongue that is moving. And in order to move the front part of the tongue, you have to contract the mid tongue. And that came from research back in 1985 and 86. So we've known about how the tongue moves, but we really weren't putting it together with speaking and swallowing. But I think that that whole concept of bracing, you know, you're addressing the thumb sucking and the excessive pacifier use and so on that collapses that dental arch. Mm -hmm. And that can impact the tongue snuggling up in there comfortably and consistently to generate that lateral bracing, especially for speech. And that's kind of what we're focusing on right now is speaking. Right. It can also, you can have, I've seen kids that have a really wide dental arch and they cannot literally reach bilaterally to stabilize. And so what I had them try to do was to try and stabilize on the perimeter of the palate, and which is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, honey, why don't you just suck your thumb? Let's just oh, yeah. get a little collapse here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that'd be good. But the whole idea is that I've got to always, as a speech language pathologist, I need to come back to that, the components of the function that I'm working with. And a really important component is that lateral bracing. I call it the stabilization, the lateral stabilization. And a lot of those things, those I call them obstacles that you were talking about really can cause that. Sure. Can impact that bracing. So I kind of like to, to think of that piece when I'm thinking of speech sound production and what is interfering with that. But it also carries over to your resting positions. And because when your tongue is in good resting position, the sides of the tongue are lightly touching the insides of the top back teeth. So everything is in what I call the speech zone. It's where speech sound production takes place. Yeah. You can pick up wherever you want. You can head off into resting positions or other things that may impact the bracing, but that kind of gives a little cohesive piece to what you're talking about. Thank you. Yeah. And so that goes back and let me back to, in order to have mobility, you have to have a point of stability. And so the sides of the tongue are the point of stability on the molars so that the tip can do its job. Um, so if you have a poor resting position of the tongue, it is going to make remediating speech sounds super hard because our bodies are made to be efficient and it is inefficient to be laying down low, which is where, why tongue thrusts come from too. It's inefficient to be laying low, go up and do the job, drop, go up and do the drop. D job drop. Um, so I personally think, especially for the, the R and the S is very much related to what the tongue, where the tongue is seated, what's its strength and mobility, and then what can it anchor to? So, um, I think that in what happens, I think in schools sometimes, I'm not, I, this is a big, we tend to work on the sound and for some sounds like K and G, you can teach the kiddo to put their tongue, like put your tip down, but, and then it just becomes like a drilling act, a drilling activity um, where I find for these harder sounds or tighter sounds, you have to focus on strength and stamina first. Um, the best way I kind of describe it is this is the kind of approach to use for kiddos who are sitting in your therapy room and they're, you know, saying their S's beautifully. And then as they're walking out the door, they're like, bye, Methuselah. And you're like, oh. because we didn't give them enough of a foundation to be seated in the right place. So the other way I kind of describe the resting position in terms, what is it for? You see, it's the set position for a runner. You have to be in that set position before you can start to articulate correctly. So um, if your tongue is laying low, you're definitely going to have issues with um, these particular sounds. Um, so we need to make sure that we're looking. So I'll give you an example as well. For S, if the kiddo um, tongue is down low and is bunched up against their teeth, 
we need to do something about the posterior portion of the tongue. Remember, we're talking about muscles. So how do we improve muscle tone and muscle strength is you exercise them. So myofunctional is a lot about exercising. Um, so when I see that kind of low forward position and like, you know, sometimes we're like, okay, keep your tongue back in your mouth. But if they don't have a point of st stabilization, you can cause a lateralism if they just pull their tongue straight back in and close their teeth off. Um, I feel like for the kiddo who has a poor R, um, if they can't elevate the midline or the, the posterior part of the tongue, that's how, think about it. I tend to like to imitate the kiddo's articulation pattern so I can feel what their tongue isn't doing or where their tongue potentially is not doing the job that it needs to be doing. And a lot of times if you look at R and um, the vowel R's in particular, in, you imitate the child, you can see that they get up for the vowel like E and then drop for that R. And so um, I like to imitate them to kind of get a feel of like, what, what is their tongue doing? And then based on that, now I know what I need to do in terms of strengthening it. Um, so I, what I do for when I was in the charter schools more, um, and I would work on, so I'm going to jump to, if anybody doesn't have any questions, I'm going to jump to kind of like what I did for therapy. Um, so I, I had the luxury, I really should say that, that in the charter schools that I was in, that I had a lot of autonomy and I had a lot of um, administrative support. So I, I, I feel very blessed in that respect way. But I knew that if I didn't do some of this oral motor piece of it prior to working on the specific sounds, these were the kids that were going to be in speech for a very, very long, long time. And it doesn't need to be that way. Um, so I usually would write a letter to the parents. And in that letter, I would say that I would be making videos for them. Because I think the one in the private sector, and Char, chime in on this, if you've heard this, I, I find that because I, I get a lot of like school kids over the summer. And when I ask the parents, like, what have you been working on? They'll turn to the kid and say, what have you been working on? So there's that disconnect um, between what's going on in the therapy room. And, you know, and a lot of us only have those children for twice a week, 20 minutes, or however, you, you know, the district um, allows you to um, service the child. Um, whereas I find that these videos are super, super helpful. So in that letter, I do write that I'm going to be taking videos of their kiddo. Um, it's for the sole purpose of sending home to them and to the teacher. I think it really empowers the teacher too, to see what we're doing so that they understand that we're working towards the same goal that they are, which is to help that kiddo be intelligible. Um, I also write in that letter that um, and if anybody needs a uh, copy of what I wrote, you more than just, you know, email me or put your stuff in the um, link and I will send it to you. Um, I wrote that um, after the video was sent home, that it gets deleted, um, that it's not shared with anybody. My email is secure. And I did make them at first. I was just like, sign it and send it back. And then I decided I wanted to be a little bit more sure who got the letter and who didn't get the letter. So I had them move to either opting in for this or opting out of it. And they still needed to sign it one way or the other. And I have to be honest with you, I have had maybe a handful of parents who are like, no, <laughs> on the whole, they love it. They absolutely love the idea of seeing what their kid's doing in speech. And then because I, I one of the rationales I write in this letter is like, you have to help us. It's a team approach, right? And so um, that has been really amazingly helpful for the parents to be involved. Well, let me stop you there and get some specifics. And I'm, I've got some questions rolling around in my brain. How long of a therapy session, let's start there, are you talking about? So for each kid, for their piece of it, maybe five to 10 minutes. Oh, it's not long. Okay. So you're not talking like a half hour therapy session. No. So what I usually do, I've done it two different ways. Okay. One, I've done it where um, there's this uh, approach that's called five minute speech. I did a 10 minute speech. So I would pull the child out into the hallway or usually by the hallway, and we would work on the our, the myofunctional exercises. We would make the videos, and then I would send him back into class. Um, the other way I've done it is like, I and I, again, it was a luxury. I, I could have groups of 
two. So I would have one child, you know, working on, you know, either uh, some kind of activity that was like involving the sound that they were working on or listening to discrimination tasks that I had made while I worked with that one child. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was a luxury for sure, but technically even like in my private practice, mile sessions tend to be about 20 minutes long because the magic has to happen at home. If we, I kind of give this example, this is my New Yorker in me. It's like going to the gym and then going to McDonald's. If nobody's helping out, we're just not going to get anywhere. So I really do, um, feel like I really encourage the parents. I really ask for feedback. So um, because in the perfect world, though, during their exercises three times a day or at least two times a day, but it doesn't take long. Um, So I tend to and I don't give a ton. And that's the other thing I think why it's so fast. I only give two to three exercises. I don't give any more than that. Yeah. Any more than that is too difficult for them to to do and yeah, and they won't do them. And I like the idea of doing the video because I mean, are you showing the exercises? Is is your mouth on there or both you and the child? It depends. If the child's able to do it correctly, then I just videotape them. If they're really like kind of struggling, the jaw shifting all over the place, then I will show them on myself how to do it. Okay. So I do both. Are you taking advantage of our new handy feature, the certificate tracker? Keep a record of all your CEUs, not just for any of the 750 audio and video courses here at SpeechTherapyPD.com, but from anywhere. Upload your certificates and voila, you have an organized all-in-one place record of all your CEUs. Cool. I kind of have this thing where I'm not going to send it home if the child isn't able to do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because then they won't do it (laughs) and maybe they'll do it wrong. And there's nothing worse than a kid practicing thing wrong, but they're not doing it correctly. Yeah. That's sometimes when I ask for feedback in terms of like, let me send me videos of what it looks like at home. But if you give the right jaw support or the right points of stability in terms of like, I like, I don't, I tend to use a lot of food (laughs) or I can use like a bite block or, and I have no problems with purchasing that. And I send that home. I've been lucky where sometimes I've asked the principal, like they sometimes, some principals have discretionary funds and I'll be like, I need a box of bite blocks. And it's like, do do you know what a bite block is? So it's that little device. It's a piece of plastic you put in your mouth and you, it will hold the jaw open, but it also holds the jaw from shifting forward or side to side. Um, and they're not that expensive. So I've had principals who had had discretionary use it, or I've had PTA or PTOs where, you know, they give certain amount of money to each teacher. And I've used that to, um, to purchase um, supplies. And sometimes as we all know, in the school districts and schools, we just pay for things. And so um, I think with the right jaw support, you can get it, so like, I don't send it home unless I have good jaw support. If they can't do it without the jaw support, then that doesn't go home yet. I see jaw support as here, jaw, keep yourself busy because we need to work with the tongue. Right, right. <laughs> or let's get you stabilized enough so that you're not in, interfering. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, the jaws. Yeah. And that poor little jaw sometimes gets ignored. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially for your open mouth postures. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The video is just a a great idea. I like that. So let's say, did you do this when you were in in Paradise Valley? No, I did not. Okay. So you're doing this at the charter schools. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And kiddos that I, like the admin was, I think one of the other reasons why admin was so willing to purchase things for me is that kiddos that would have probably taken one to two years to remediate an R or an S were out in six months. Hallelujah. (laughs) Exactly. So they're like, I'll give you anything you need to make. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, that's nice because they're not being pulled from class for an hour a week. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and I understand exactly where you're coming from. There's that beautiful thought of the child being able to come out for a few minutes and then go back in. He's not missing or she's not missing a lot. And then also there's that, well, I want to say that the onus is kind of on the child, but also on that parent slash caregiver or an older sibling, whoever's going to be helping the child at home. And you're looking at that consistency over time and there's nothing better. If you have 
some level of cooperation and and if they know what to do, usually they'll do it, which is a really positive thing. But I love that. Yeah. Because it is tough to fix a kid, to remediate a kid in an hour a week. It's just hard. They can be done, but I've always felt guilty about pulling them out for that length of time. Right. I've also had it where, you know, I'm not opposed to like, sometimes like if the kiddo is super struggling, I'll say to mom, like, it depends on the parents too. Some parents are working parents and can't, but I have done zoom where I'm like with their kid. Cause literally if it's five minutes, I really, I'm like, watch us do this. So you can imitate this at home. And or I've, I've, I've been fortunate to have parents who maybe work part-time or stay-at-home parents, moms who can come in. I'm, I'll, I'll meet you for my lunch. Meet me for my lunch. Five minutes, you know, I, I just think the, the long-term benefits of doing these five-minute little things will get these kids in and out so much faster. Hmm. Hmm. The other thing, I the reason why I like it so much, and this is just my thing is, I think that um, when you take the game out of it, I find that a lot of the older kids are like, I don't, like, where's the game? And I'm like, there's no game today. And they're like, oh, <laughs> you're like, I don't get to get out of math and go play board games. No. <laughs> so it has motivated a lot of those older children to be like, okay, I need to get this done so I don't have to, you know, there's no fun if we're not playing games. So it has encouraged those to be like, all right. Um, and I do find too, like once you can get them past the exercise piece of it, the, I think it really does work for articulation therapy as well, because you're drilling fast. Like you're saying the, you know, the words, you know, like on an iPad, you can flip that really super fast. And then I videotape even little segments of that. And I send that home with, to the parents with homework. And I usually at this stage, I used to make folders and stuff like that. And that just didn't work out well. And most families now are very, you know, connected digitally or on the computer. And um, so I email everything. I'll, I'll email the video. I'll email the homework. And I do continuously put the teachers on it because it's, you know, ultimately they need to know too. And sure. Right. Especially for the language piece. And I'll explain to the teachers, like, I want you to hear the language I'm using so that when he's in your class, you can either whisper it to him or sometimes we come up like, you know, the hand signs of this. And so it's been very successful. Good. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Good. Okay. So get specific a little bit with us. Maybe, maybe are you working on resting postures with the kiddos? Are you working on generating bracing? Are you, what, what are you doing? Just a, you know, a couple, couple examples for us. And also I know that, and, and also I don't want to forget because you did mention that, that people could email you, but what is your email? So it's Susie, S-U-S-I-E at bigapplespeech.com. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you also have a website, correct? Correct. It is www at bigapplespeech.com. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yep. Okay, good. And since I've stopped you and hold on to that practical piece that that's where we're headed, but I do, we do have a question here from Kathy and she says, hello, thank you for offering this course. Will these strategies work for students with childhood apraxia? That is a very good question. I think that these are more geared towards strengthening and coordination. So it may overlap into apraxia. Once you get the strength, if there is, but the repetition, um, it would, I would, I look at it and sharp, um, feel free. I see it more for, I don't, I don't particularly use it for childhood apraxia. Does it mean that it cannot be? I'm sure that there are other people who do use it. I just don't happen to do it. Um, so I can't, I don't want to say yes or no, really. I just feel like it's more from the motor standpoint, but then obviously with kiddos, if you can get that repetition going, yeah, you could use some of these as well. Yeah. I have found, and you know, if you think of myofunctional therapy and I think everybody has their own brand, <laughs> you know, and my brand is called capability-based therapy. And part of that is using as many forms of sensory assists as I can, not just the visual here, honey, look at my mouth, look at your mouth in the mirror, Correct. you know, listen to the sound, but also taking an appropriate therapy tool and stroking the sides of the tongue and the perimeter of the palate and the side teeth and trying to generate mid-tongue contraction to generate front tongue vertical movement, et cetera, et cetera. From that standpoint of really expanding my options of 
how to provide sensory input, not just visual, not just auditory, but expanding it to intraoral or maybe even extraoral and applying it from that sensory standpoint. I have had really good success a better success, let's say, with kids with childhood apraxia of speech, but also focusing on some of these things that we've been talking about with the lateral bracing and the mid-tongue contraction and the front-tongue vertical movement and those kinds of things. I also, I have found that one of the best sensory input assists, if you will, is for the child to close their eyes and just focus intraorally. And so you're closing off, obviously, that visual input But I want them to send a spy down to their tongue and down to their mouth and really focus on what's going on there. So I use that as well as sensory input. You know, I kind of look at it sort of not as the whole myofunctional therapy piece, but some of the tools and and the components of it that we sometimes do as part of myofunctional therapy. Correct. And I would, I would highly suggest, like, I just don't do myofunctional therapy with my students. I pull from here. I pull from there. I pull from anything that works. Right. So let me, so along with that tactile, so some of the activities that I do uh, to give you is um, some for the jaw strengthening activities, I will take um, licorice and leave it and let it get stale. So the child has to work on munching on that. They love it. They're like, Ooh, Um, I've used frozen candy. I've used chewies before. Um, I've used water bottles where we would take a string and hold the button. It worked for two things. You could do like lip strengthening. They're hanging like upside down almost with this bottle of water, like just a little bit of water. You work, keep working up and you time them how long they can hold that water bottle, but it works the jaw as well as the lips. Um, so I, that's a great activity, but it's very, again, it's hands-on, it's tactile, it's fun because the other piece of it too, that goes along with this is that the brain really does remember things that it has experienced. That's why flashcards don't really work much because the, the brain's not experiencing anything. Whereas when you're using these, the feelings and touching and, um, other, um, external forces, you're going to get the brain to kick in and be more, Um, for lack of a better word, involved in that. Some of the things that I do for tongue strength. So again, when we have some concerns about the jaw being unstable, but we want to do two things. You want to work on the jaw, but you want to start working on some strengthening for the tongue. I use um, veggie sticks or um, goldfish and I'll break them down into little pieces and I'll have the child bite on it, not through it. So you got to have the right kiddo. And they can hold it as a point of stability if we, if I don't have bite blocks. A veggie stick? Yeah. What's a veggie stick? So a veggie stick is, it looks like, um, it's like little, it's a, a it's a, a kid snack. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they're like long and um, they're hollow, but they're like chips. Like, so they'll be like veggie chips, like uh, the ones, um, uh, green, orange, you know? And so, um, so I'll, then the nice part about it is that you can break them. So I'll break them in half and then the kid can hold that on their molars. Um, I either put it in my, myself, you know, obviously we need gloves or I have them do it, you know, depending on the age and that can act as a point of stability for the jaw. And then we can do in and out. A lot of times, the only thing I, I, one of the suggestions for the tongue moving in and out of the mouth for protrusion is just, just, just a hint is that on the way back in, the tongue has to go straight back in. If the tongue flips, like they're going to do like a retroflex R, then they didn't pull the tongue in. They didn't activate the posterior muscles. Right. So that um, I always like to give, like, cause parents are like, look how good it is. I'm like, he's close, but yeah, I'm feeling under here. Yep. I use side to side again, that strengthens the lateral mo- margins as well. And like, you can use food for that. I put chocolate on kids' faces, <laughs> you know, you can use something cold like ice to just kind of help them. And then I do look for the tip up and down. Flicks are a big one for R's. Actually, they're really big for R's and S's. But once you get the kiddo, and it it can't just be the tip of the tongue that you see. You honestly have to see under the tongue. You need to see the frenulum clearly. And then we call I call them, I don't know what everybody else, I call them little caves on the other side of the frenulum. You need to see that. Otherwise, if you just seem like, and I'm then it's only the tip that's doing the work. 
So when you have suction of the whole tongue, you got the back end doing its job too. I've used a great one. So if I have a kiddo who's really struggling with that one, I've taken um, either taffy and warmed it up a little bit or um, a half a piece of gum and I have them chew it, roll it up, and then they have to smush it to the roof of their mouth to get that contact between the mid blade and um, it's not you know, obviously completely, we don't want necessarily that kind of complete contact because you can't make speech sounds that way either, but at least we're getting some posterior raising of the back end of the tongue. I move for the, what I, we call holding clicks. And that's when the child can suction up the tongue to the roof of the mouth and then hold that position for a certain amount of time and then open and close the jaw. And that's going to give us that jaw tongue separation. Put a little help from the suction but it does start to help them to disassociate the movement of the tongue and the jaw. Mm-hmm. Then I do back clicks. And so back clicks are for, so the child has the tongue suctioned completely to the roof of the mouth and they're just dropping the back end of the tongue. It's kind of the horsey sound, but you're doing it on both sides. And so again, just think of for those, think of the whole tongue being suctioned up into the palate and then the back end is coming down, but the tip never leaves the spot per se. And that's a great one for S because we need to strengthen the back of the tongue. This is going to stop that kiddo who we just tell to just pull your tongue into your mouth and he's end up, he's all bunched up in the front. This is going to give him the strength to get up and back and onto the molars. Um, I use taco tongue for R because we need, again, we need that back end up high and tight, but you need that U shape of the tongue. Why? Just wondering. Yeah. Why? Never thought of a taco tongue in relationship to an er. And are you doing a backup or a retroflexor? Maybe there's a difference there. Difference. Yeah. I try to, I aim for the bu- the bunched R, like the where the tongue is up and back. I aim for that. But think about when you're doing er, right? What's the, what's the, what's the curvature of the tongue? So the sides are on the molars, right? And then the, it's more of a curvature then, uh, so it's not, I would say it's probably more to get them in the right position per se, than it is to, it's more of a facilitator, I should say. And it strengthens the tongue. If you can do taco tongues, taco tongues are hard. Show me a taco tongue. Are you taco tongue this way? Yeah, that's a taco tongue. Mm-hmm. So then what I do with them is I'll, I'll have them go like this. Hmm. So they're not like, but if you have weakness, you're going to see a lot of like in and out, like Mm-hmm. moving in and out. So you have to stabilize the back. Then what I do is let me get a little light on and I'll show you. Once I get them to the point where they can make that taco, then we move to a loose taco and we'll get this. And now we're working to get it into the mouth a little bit. And then we're working to get it up. Er. Okay. So it's a sequence. Correct. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And some kids, and again, the other thing too, like some kids can move through these, these exercises fairly fast but in other kids, it takes them a while. But if you can't get that, you know, again, like you're talking about that contact of the point of stabilization because there's no strength or there's no. And obviously, you know, we talk about this, too, like when there's no strength, there's less sensation. Right. The sensory system is a little depressed as well. So um, that's when like stroking the sides of the tongue and and other techniques like that are really helpful. So you want to see the taco. Kathy wanted to see the sequence again. So first, if the kiddo can make a taco tongue, we I call it, and this is just my my language, I call it taco to flat tongue. So we're going, I tell them to stay on the wet part of their lips so they're not moving in and out. And then they're making the taco, holding it for a count of two, letting go for a count of two. I call it the fat tongue. So it looks like this. And when they can do that between 20 to 30 times straight. Wow, that's a lot. Yep. You got to strengthen that tongue for sure. For sure. Then I move them to the loose taco, which is, there's two ways I facilitate it. I either tell them to make a taco and then start to smile back. So, or some kids can just go for it. And I'm like, just make a, make a loose taco. And then you're pulling it back into the mouth and up onto. So, so sometimes I'll say like, run the sides of your tongue on your teeth, like a train track. So that's where the pull helps them to pull. Like, so if they're out like this, I can pull them in and pull them back on there. So now they have contact with the size of the tongue on the molars. So it's first the taco to flat, loose taco, slide it on in. And then we talk about the lips too, but that's what I do for the tongue. (laughs) Okay. If it works, I am all for it. (laughs) Maybe it's not the fastest way, 
of teaching an art, but I have had find that it is the most, what's the word I'm looking for? Sustainable. Like I find once I get them up into that position, they're able to hold that position or produce the sound more frequently and with better accuracy. Okay. Want graduate level semester credits for your speechtherapypd.com courses? Well, they're available now in collaboration with the University of the Pacific. And as you know, most of our 750 plus video and audio courses are evidence-based and all are super practical. Subscribe now. Well, I use a dental floss handle, Mm -hmm. you know, the bigger ones that are bigger and palpate. I have one over here, but it's not readily accessible. But palpate the back tongue corners, you know, the part that's going to be up either on the back molars or on the retromolar pads right behind, depending on which is more comfortable. So palpate the back tongue corners, take it out, turn it over, and then palpate up back on the the gum area where the molars are on the retromolar pads, and then have them match and do that a gazillion times. Yeah, that's one component of it. But yeah. Correct. But by having them do that again and do that again, do that again, you're doing what? Repetition. Repetition. And you're strengthening the muscle to do that. And the muscle memory, the proprioceptive movement memory. Correct. Correct. So like, I don't, I try as fast as, as much as I like these exercises, I try super fast to get them to something functional because obviously making a taco doesn't equate, doesn't equal to a R, but I try and get them. um, So I try to move them pretty quickly through these exercises. I'm looking for, I mean, I think I, the other example I tend to give for parents too, is I could lift a hundred pound weight once. It doesn't mean I can sustain that movement. And that's why I feel like, yes, you can teach a kid to say R. Yes, we can teach a kid to say S. Why are they not using it spontaneously? And I think there's some of it is, you know, practice, practice, practice. But I think some of it is because their tongue is not in that set position. They're not ready to go. Right. Yeah. We want them ready to go. Otherwise, you're in generalization slash carryover for a year or two or longer. And then again, we're pulling the kids out. So, you know, I'd like you to go back to resting position and tongue resting position, tongue lips jaw, and specify that a little bit for everybody as to what you recommend. So the optimal resting position is that the tongue tip is behind the front teeth on the, um, right behind the incisive papilla. That's a little bump behind your front teeth. And then there's usually there's the alveolar ridge. So the tip is supposed to go to the alveolar ridge and the tongue is supposed to be lightly suctioned to the roof of the mouth. Two thirds of it, obviously we can't get the whole tongue up there. Um, And then the teeth should be slightly open. It's called the freeway space or lightly touching and the lips are closed. That is the ultimate position that we want um, students to be in, in terms of starting then to articulate correctly. Um, so these exercises work towards that because I was just going to say too, um, besides working on sound, we have to, and this is, I love this when I show parents the rubber bands. So I don't know how many people know about the myofunctional moves. Um, we tend to use oral, um, orthodontic rubber bands. And after we have some strength and mobility, we have the kiddo for a stamina and strength to hold that rubber band up in the resting position. So they're kind of, it's kind of like their glue, helping them to, from a proprioceptive standpoint, to hold on to the rubber band so that they are continuously, again, so here comes that muscle memory and that patterning. You're doing it over and over because you're swallowing all the time, doing the same exercise over and over and over. And so that's the resting position and why that is so important as well. Okay. And I've always heard anywhere from, you know, a fourth to a third, and you're saying two thirds. And I guess it's kind of, you know, how, how your structure is. And again, the height of the hard palate and the closeness of the sides of the teeth and the comfortable positioning. So it's going to depend on, on structure. And of course you want it comfortable and replicatable. Correct. Structure will always define function. So yeah, I mean, you have to work within the realm of what you have, but yeah, for the most part, you just want to at least a front of it that it's suction lightly, whatever they need to, how much they need to in order to suction. Yeah. And it's just, just a little, yeah. Oh yeah. Very little. Yeah. And if they're actively pushing up, you know, that's too much effort. Correct. Yeah. Because your stability is really going to come with the lateral bracing and the mid tongue contraction. And then this is, should remain 
at the ready to do its little vertical work for its vertical speech sounds or its swallowing or whatever it's going to be doing. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But that resting position is critical. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, why should you do resting positions? You know, it's just right. As you were saying, it's just at the ready. It's in the position of where speech sounds live. Okay. But it's also putting out an anti-gravity lift. It's exerting what's called mild tonus contraction to get into that position and then generating muscular endurance to maintain that position over time. So there's that positional piece, but also the muscular piece. It's extremely important. And especially for those kiddos where their tongue is down or down and forward and their tongue is moving horizontally because speech is vertical, front tongue vertical and back tongue vertical, except for those goofy THs. Yeah. (laughs) So Michelle wrote here, my first boss many years ago did a lot of myofunctional treatment. She always took their picture before therapy. And then six months later, facial structure did change. It will, because again, what's, what's happening when you move, remove the pressure of the tongue, the face will, will change um, its structure. Muscle will always try and reshape bone. Um, so she asked um, for working on resting. She had them hold a Cheerio on the ridge during TV commercials. Um, would I suggest that if you if that's where you need to start? Yes, start there. The only thing, because like you know, again, from a financial or what works for the parent, um, because what happens with a Cheerio, it doesn't allow the tongue tip to make actual contact with the alveolar ridge. So I, I find like it's too big of a gap. A little bulky. Yeah. I mean, it's more fun than an orthodontic rubber band because you can then chew it and swallow it. Right, right. <laughs> so that may be a nice start and a motivator. But yeah, but yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that kind of thing is always a little bulky. Right, right. And we want that contact. Yeah, that is. And the other thing is um, when you put food into the mouth, and sometimes it happens with the rubber band as well, that the, now the mouth is going to produce saliva. Because it feels like it's got to work hard to, you know, anytime there's food involved, here comes saliva. Yeah. And then you're slurping, trying to, yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah. It is certainly a very good place to start. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, Carlin is saying, I could see the taco tongue bringing more awareness to the tongue from the lips for those with WR kids, then bringing the tongue back into the train tracks, onto the train tracks in the teeth. And yeah, and she likes that. Okay, good. Good, good. Well, excellent. Excellent. All right. Ooh, any more comments or questions or anything? Because I do want to head toward wrapping up and I do have one more question for you. Okay. Miss Susie. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> for hours. And I bet you have. <laughs> to anybody who would listen. <laughs> yeah. There problem. you go. There you go. Yep. Yep. No, it's fun. It's totally fun. And it's and, and the whole thing is that it's beneficial too, but um, okay, Susie, here is my question to you. And once in a while, I pull these out for people. Um, and this one is, I call it a life question. And here's the one that I have selected for you. As a speech language pathologist, what is something you wish you'd known when you were younger, when you were a new speech language pathologist? What do you wish that you had known? Maybe a couple of things. Probably myofunctional therapy is thrown in there, but anything else that you've learned? Right. I think what I have learned that I really was that I was doing a lot of talking to the kid. Um, put your tongue here, and like without supporting or touching or you know doing anything um, from a sensory standpoint, and you know. I'm shocked that, you know, why obviously these kids didn't make the kind of progress that I'd wanted because, you know, you just can't show them, you know, there has to be some touching, um, you know, um, can't be afraid to get in a kid's mouth. You just can't. Um, and you can, like you said, you can use props, you can use food, but that would be one of my big things. Like, look at me do this. You know, like, that would be one of my biggest ones where I'm just, just showing them and they're like, especially for art, it's hard to see. So that would be one of my biggest regrets. One of my other regrets, sometimes I wonder if I had told parents um, that their kiddo had plateaued or wasn't making any more progress. And 
maybe it was because from a structural standpoint, there wasn't good structure and I didn't know what to look at. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, we've all been there. Yep. I feel bad about some of the kids I worked with. Correct. Yeah. That my knowledge wasn't up to par. Right. I didn't know what to look for. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you don't know it, and then sometimes parents will be like, well, why didn't somebody else do this? Or what? And I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, but that would be my big, one of my other ones that, you know, that I dismiss kids that if I had, if I could go back and fix, you know, X, Y, and Z, they would have progressed more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I remember doing, well, I went through, you know, I went to Western Michigan University back when Charles Van Riper was there and, and, you know, the father of articulation, hello. And so I did, you know, let's do sound stem and, you know, listen to the sound and, and, you know, watch your mouth, you know, take a look in the mirror and that's not bad. And some kids get it you know, with that. Yeah. It's like, Oh, thank you very much. But there's a lot of kids that don't. So we need some plan B's and C's for them. And, but you know, when I first started, I didn't, all I had was plan A, you know, I didn't have any plan B's and C's. And, and like you, you start seeing kids that, wow, I I just don't know what's going on with that child. And what else can I do for them? And I hate it when I hear somebody saying, well, you know, I just can't do anything else for you. And it's like, no, it it is my job to figure it out Mm -hmm. and to help that person. And, and if nothing else for us to work together or to bring in another professional or let's call somebody, you know, (laughs) I think today people get on Facebook, you know, which is a really good thing, you know, so you get, you know. 23 different ideas to help you, you know, different options. Yeah. So yeah, those are, yeah, that's, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Great. Anything else you want to say about that? I mean, I don't, if you have something else on your mind, I don't want to close off that door. No, no. I was just thinking, you know, again, like of all the times I looked at, I felt like in grad school for myself, I came from a a school on the East coast that was very more language based, and we you know, obviously were taught, but I don't think we in grad schools were getting taught enough about oral function or, you know, oral motor. I just don't think they're doing a good job, but I think some schools are picking up on it, but I think that like, but it's not like, I probably had a class or, you know, like one or two, you know, classes on it. And then that was it. You know? Oh, well, that was a lot. Yeah. Like, oh, this <laughs> is what for you, you. Right. Woohoo. Yeah, exactly. Stick, have them stick out their tongue, have them say, you know, pataka, but okay, so I did all that. Now, what does that translate to? Yeah. Yeah. What does that connect to? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay, why am I doing this again? Yeah. yeah and, and that's true. You always have to have a reason why we do these things, you know, someplace to come from. Um, yeah. So, all right. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good. Well, I do want to thank you, Susie, for sharing your knowledge and your therapy experiences and your helpful insights with us. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. There's one more question. Do you want me to answer that? Is there a question here? Of course. Yeah. Once a child can make taco tongue, how often do they, do you recommend they practice daily for homework? That's a great question. So, uh, yep. I, when it comes to that particular exercise, I'm interested more in, um, frequency than I am in duration, meaning I'd rather see the kiddo do it two to three times a day and do five or 10 of them than to belt out like 25 at home because I don't, because when they're with me, I can kind of monitor and, um, check on their form. Whereas at home, you know, think about it, if they're getting tired at like five, six or seven, then it's gonna look like a mess at home. So I do higher intervals in the therapy session, but then send um, less home. Yeah. You know, the, the terminology that I've kind of figured out about that is if you begin to see fatigue or deterioration of the task, then it's time to max out. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've done it. <laughs> okay. That's the, that's the number that they practice. And then tomorrow you just see if we can't practice a few more to extend that endurance and that capability. Yeah. And then there was a question about, um, sh- do we refer out to somebody who's trained or should we be making referrals uh, like a hygienist who does virtual myofunctional therapy? 
I want to empower you as the speech language pathologist working on these particular sounds or sounds in general, that this is within your scope of practice and within, because if you send them to a hygienist, technically by the time that child's ready to work on sounds, that's outside that professional scope of practice. Yeah. They shouldn't be doing that. I mean, tech, yeah, I mean, ethically. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're, they aren't trained in that. Yeah. I don't clean teeth. Yeah, exactly. So I, that would be, if you found another a myofunctional speech pathologist and you wanted to work with that person, at least they understand the function of the tongue for speech. Right. So that would be my own. And I, I do virtual, but I try to do it as minimally as possible because again, you can't touch them. So if I have to, like, I have some clients that live in Flagstaff and, you know, and so that's a distance from me. Even if I do some sessions virtually, I will eventually pull them in. I'm like, come down for the two hour ride. I'll I'll buy you lunch. (laughs) I got to touch your kid's face. Yeah. And, And they need to see you up close and personal too. Correct. Yeah, exactly. It works both ways. Well, thank you, Susie. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody. In closing... I want to thank all of you for being here and for tuning in and for continuing to get the word out about SpeechLink Podcast, where you learn, as you did tonight, practical things that you can use while you're earning CEUs. So that's pretty cool. And in a very few days, you'll be able to access this course through speechtherapypd.com, and you can watch it again if you want. And if you so desire, access the audio-only version on the most popular podcast apps like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Podcasts. And I really appreciate your supportive comments on there. So, and thank you so much for all your good reviews. Also, if you're planning ahead, the next speech link will be in April. But as far as March, I will be doing a live two-hour webinar on capability-based therapy, either March 23 or 30. I don't think it's been decided on yet. So watch for that information if you would. And thank you again, Susie. And thank you to all of you. And I hope that you all know just how much you are appreciated. And thank you for all that you do for your therapy kids. So see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm thrilled you tuned into the speech link. I hope it was helpful. Just leave a quick review and subscribe to be a part of a select group that receives every episode. For CEUs, go to speechtherapypd.com. And for everything else, visit charboshart.com. There's free materials, articles, books, and my blog, Therapy Matters. Thank you for all you do. See you next time.